0: I think some companies um, are, are at the right place at the right time, which might be part of that secret sauce. Like they just happen to hit exactly with the right formula at the right time. I'm a big believer in fundamentals. So, yeah. you know, you have to have an executable business. You have to have a business that has shown that it will be adopted by the marketplace in one yeah. way, shape or form, whatever it is that you're doing and then from there it's management it's your your competitive landscape it's your you know key you know competitive advantages so what makes you distinct and unique packaging and perception i will say that one of the things that i see repeatedly now is that the companies that can package promote and create perception about themselves that's unique and different always stand out and seem to get more value than companies that might even be more substantial but don't have the same you know, kind of benefit of being able to package and present and to uh, create a bit of buzz about the business
1: hello dreamers and action takers welcome to another episode of the want money got money podcast i'm your host sam kamani and my guest today is peter goldstein peter is a seasoned capital market executive and a serial entrepreneur he specializes in securing growth capital to fund businesses, development, and private and public advancement, including listing on global senior stock exchanges like the NASDAQ or NYSE. So without further ado, let's get into it and find out from Peter what makes a good IPO and all the hype surrounding SPACs. Welcome to the show. I'd love to know a bit about your background and your history and how you got to do what you are doing
0: now. Sam, great to be here with you and look forward to a really dynamic conversation. And the one thing you and I share is that we're entrepreneurs from an early age. I really would consider myself a a serial entrepreneur. And I started my first company in my early 20s. I'm now 58. So I've been at this for quite some time. And I had my first exit at the age of 30. So I got to experience building a company as a founder, bootstrapping. I was in my 20s. I didn't have a lot of capital. I didn't have any outside investments. I didn't have any experience. I just had a lot of drive and a lot of passion and built that company to a high level of success. It was in the distribution business and specialty foods in New York City. And I ended up selling that to one of my competitors, And from there, launched to the basis of what's been the last 25 years or so, focused on really looking towards the future and creating new projects. The similarity in all my projects have been that they're emerging growth companies. That would be everything from my definition of pre-revenue to about a $500 million market cap. And have been involved in a number of different aspects and, and industries and types of business that I'm sure we'll have more to talk about throughout our time here today.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And where was your first company based and how did you end up in Netherlands?
0: Wow, those are two very different scenarios, but they're both tied around startups. So I guess that's a a good way to bring them together. My first business was actually in New York City. I'm a New Yorker uh, by birth and lived in New York actually till I was about 30 years old when I had sold that first business. And was starting a career in the food industry, realized that I was not really built to be a, a, an employee, that I really wanted to go out and, and build business. And actually, one of the companies I was working for had a, shared with me an opportunity of a business that had just gone bankrupt and that there was a void in the market. Nobody had stepped up to fill what this company was doing. And I turned that person I was working with into my first client and from there, built on a significant event in my life. My 24th birthday, I went down to City Hall on Center Street in Manhattan and got my first official business license.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. I thought so from your accent, but then from your time zone and where you are based, I'm like, okay, how does this work? What's the story behind
0: your... Of course, yes, of course. Um, yeah, I think as a serial entrepreneur, and I think it's the same with you, the opportunity to to learn and meet, you know, great people. And that's been a consistent thing in my career as an entrepreneur. What brought me to to Amsterdam at the beginning of COVID last year, I was actually recruited by a company a startup to be the CEO, to help them to develop their company and to prepare them for capitalization and for launching. And so I took an opportunity of course, none of us knew at that time what was going to happen with COVID. That particular situation didn't work out all that well, but I'm very pleased to be now based in, in Amsterdam, working with a number of companies here in Europe on my current you know, core business. But it was certainly a, an adventure that brought me here. And I love being in culture, meeting new people and talking, working with new companies on a global basis. That's
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Being a serial entrepreneur, having spent time with so many companies, having other companies raise funding and all that, you would have... Have met an incredible num- number of really enterprising founders or tech startup founders. What do you think sets apart like really good founders from mediocre ones?
0: The commonality for me, my my focus is on bringing high growth companies in emerging markets to list on the stock exchange. And so, for me, what my criteria of what might be a good CEO might be different than another is based upon what I'm looking to really to accomplish with the company and what the objectives are, of course. So for the premise that I'm going to you know, try to answer your question is based around the filters of the executives that I work with that are building towards an event where they're first listing their company as an IPO or as some form of a way of entering into the public markets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's... Um... I know I saw that on your on your profile and and as you say just now that you do help companies list. So what sort of companies do you help? What sort of what stage are they in? As in, do you have a, that they have to be a certain size, certain revenue and and all that?
0: It's the the fun of what I get to do, Sam, is I, I get to work with companies all over the globe. So the geographic parameters are very broad. And the size can be everything pre-revenue up into about a $500 million valuation or market cap. Those are the, the, the companies that I work with in a broad sector of industries. Right now, we have a number of fintech-oriented companies, as, as you and I spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working with companies in the EV space. I'm mm-hmm. um, working with companies in the uh, the pharmaceutical space, telecom, data, med tech. It's really very diverse. One client that's doing a roll up in the air transportation and medical industry, uh, another one in the real estate industry. So there, there's very little industry commonality. What there really is a matter of the stage of development where the company is looking to migrate from private ownership, or where they've already gone public, Sam, but they're yeah. public on a lower exchange or a smaller exchange somewhere in the world. And they were ready to list on a senior exchange or a tier one platform. And that's the, the really the expertise that I have, which is in preparing the companies for that event, working with the executives, working with the board of directors. And of course, the, the excitement for me is that these are companies all over the world in different stages of development. And I get like you get to touch base and learn from amazing entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah. One of the, like thing that I always hear from from people that have gone public or, or and that is that there is a lot more governance and a lot more not regulation but like just paperwork and everything that you have to do and maintain if you are public. Is that still the case and and do you help companies with that as well?
0: absolutely I, I think it's more and more the case and because there's more regulatory oversight yes required and, and more transparency in the way of financial reporting, in the way of corporate governance, uh, in the way of controls and systems. And and the truth is that many entrepreneurs are just not organized. They're more working from, they're uh, guided by the objectives and the goals and, and looking to build the company with an orientation around one aspect or another of their business. And often corporate governance and controls and systems are put towards the back end. And so we come in and we work to first establish where is the company currently today? And quite almost all of them have deficiencies, Sam. And then it's okay. So then we come about with a roadmap and a plan to set those deficiencies into a course of action to correct them and put in a structure, whether that's putting in corporate governance or setting up boards and committees, recruiting and attracting new officers, directors, Mm -hmm. uh, strategic partners, but also the professionals. We, you know, after working now for you know 25 plus years in the capital markets in the US, developed a really great infrastructure of professionals so we can bring in other really outside facing professionals that have expertise in certain areas to to work, especially in the area of corporate governance. It's the qualitative side of listing that many put towards the back end, and we like to put it right up in the forefront. If you think about it, there's the quantitative side of listing, where you have to have certain valuation, a certain price per share, a certain number of Mm -hmm. shares, your entire capital structure. And then there's the qualitative side that you were asking about. And I actually think it's one of the more overlooked areas, especially in the small cap and the micro cap. It's often an afterthought. Yes. Where we put it right up on front and start to develop a plan and it takes time. Sam, these are not simple overnight fixes. You have corporate cultures to work with. You have different professionals with different backgrounds inside the company and out. Different requirements, different you know educational processes that have to go on and controls and systems. So it's part of the journey. It's part of the process and, and a big part of the value add that, that we bring about with our clients.
1: Yeah, no, that makes um so much sense. That yeah, I'm sure your service is like absolutely essential. For any entrepreneur thinking about taking that leap, talking about how you say that there is more and more oversight, especially in in the whole financial sort of sector. What are some other key changes do you see happening in the next few years, like even say three to five years in this whole sort of sector of funding, of of listing, all those sort of things?
0: It's interesting if you look at just the last year to two years. Sam, there's been this whole movement now for the retail investors to come into this. Mm -hmm. predominantly right this was all institutionally oriented wall street and and very little of of the ipo world and the 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 actual trading trickled down into more of the retail platform with direct you know investors now that's estimated to be as much as 20 percent of the trading that occurs in wall street which is a phenomenal amount of volume and trading and money and stimulation into the market that didn't exist before and i think this trend will most definitely continue I think it will grow, and and with that, will become you know new opportunities for companies to really access uh, direct to constituents to people that are interested. Some of your your background, we'll just pick on one of your projects in the esports world. Yes, those are enthusiasts; they're passionate about esports. Absolutely, and if they can also turn that into then an investment platform where they're able to go on to you know purchase stock or trade stocks directly in companies that they understand that they have knowledge about, and then that they have access to. Sam, this was where people might've had that passion and that interest, but they didn't have access. So accessibility has been one of the really interesting changes upon Wall Street.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's where we are building our next platform. It's called Insider, E-N-S-Y-D-R. And that's what we are trying to do. We are trying to combine esports with financial education. So pretty much people go and compete As you, on internet. Everyone has an opinion of what Tesla stock should be or what any of the meme stocks or what Bitcoin should be worth. Now people can predict and compete against and challenge people against each other and see who gets it right and get the sort of, it's like everyone could be put a tweet out there that, Hey, I made this prediction, but they probably made like 10 <laughs> predictions and one they're just talking about. Now people can see who is really knowledgeable, who is really doing the best fundamental analysis, who's doing the best technical analysis and trying to make it into a game and bring esports sort of element into it with leaderboards and things like that. So that's, I absolutely see that trend. And this is where pretty much we started about like 12 months ago. And as we could see this um, happening and and it's been really amazing to see the response that we are getting. We are still in very early stages, still um, bootstrapping, but it's an um, amazingly fun journey because people are so passionate about this and it's really interesting to see like the young people really passionate about, yeah, about this whole space. Talking about all these new innovations, the one of the new thing that I've been hearing a lot in the last year or so is, is specs, like special purpose acquisition. Can you explain a bit about SPACs and how they work to, to any um, entrepreneur or founder who is possibly looking at going that route instead of uh, like a listing directly or something like that?
0: It's a hot topic, Sam. It's, a, it's a, a really, it's been a record number of special purpose acquisition companies both formed. Yes and capital-funded, the jump is just phenomenal. For those that don't know, SPAC is an acronym for Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, and it's basically an IPO that gets funded, and the purpose of that IPO is then to go out and identify a private company to merge, thus then becoming one integrated public company. The difference is that the investors are putting the money up at first, and giving the sponsors or the promoters of the SPAC the ability to then go out and find a company to take public, as opposed to a company doing its own IPO where you have one entity that specifically is going to market. It's a very unique tool, if you will. There are pros and cons to that. One of the things that I see that's happening, this trend, is that there's a lot of money out in the market that needs to get put to work. Yes, And there's only a return on investment to the people involved with the SPAC if they identify a private company to merge with. And typically, it's a 24-month period Mm -hmm. for which those SPACs, from when they do their IPO, have the ability to complete a merger. And then that's the terminology of de-SPACing, if you will. (laughs) And to date, Sam, there's $100 billion in the market, just this year, out of 300-plus special purpose companies, looking then to acquire private companies and so what is very apparent to me is that's a tremendous amount of capital now where it's going to be very competitive looking for companies to acquire yeah that's very good for the entrepreneur if the entrepreneurs the companies are being courted suited by a SPAC that has money in it and of course there's a tremendous amount of complexity around completing a SPAC and putting all of that together in in a successful transaction what's overlooked quite often, is the cost uh, of the SPAC. People often say it's cheaper than doing an IPO. And I think if you look at it, that often there's a hidden cost, which is the equity retention. Shareholders, uh, as you've been used to working with early kind of venture capital Mm -hmm. and and acquisition exit, this is an exit where the equity becomes very valuable because it's liquid. And typically, you're giving up more equity as a founder Mm -hmm. in a SPAC than you might if you were doing it as an IPO. So it's very interesting. I think the trend will continue, although I, it, it has to slow down, Sam. It's just, there's just too much money floating and not yes. enough quality companies and transactions to be done. So o- over time, I think the people regulate, but it certainly has been just a booming couple of years now yeah. for the SPAC market.
1: Yeah, you pretty much answered my next question as in, what do you see? Where do you see it going? Do you see it slowing down? And you pretty much answered that. Um
0: is right. It, well, I I'm, do I do have one more tip for you though Sam that I just sorry to interrupt but in the flow of conversation yes, yes. that that I'm I'm also as far as like where are things going I see a great opportunity and that's something that I'm stepping into with with yes. a project that I would consider a passion project the the mechanics of a SPAC require that the amount of money that's raised the valuation of the private company being acquired is typically 80% or higher of the asset based upon the valuation. And the trend has been for the SPACs to get higher and higher in the amount of money they're raising in an IPO. So what does that mean to the small to medium-sized company? Your target market, my target market. They're overlooked. They're Mm -hmm. not really able to participate in the SPAC market. So I've been working with an exchange to create kind of a mini SPAC. Which is a smaller amount of money because most growth companies don't need hundreds of millions of dollars. Exactly, they, right. they do quite well with fives and tens of millions of dollars. Yes. So the first one that I'm looking to do, it is a very much of a, a project that excites me in many ways, is in the psychedelic medicine sector, yes. and we are in the process of forming the regulatory framework to be able to go to market with a, a small SPAC. But yeah. it really applies for that any in industry. Sam, we can take this same model and use it for fintech. We yeah. can take it for any of the sectors that, you know, Esports you and I would be gaming. interested in. And, yeah. And,
1: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then work with this. Love it. Yeah, you continue. Sorry, I got excited. But yeah, continue, please. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it is exciting, Sam. And I'm glad that you, you have that same excitement over it. So just to share with you, that's one of the trends that I see. I'm a bit contrarian. That if the entire market is going one way, mm-hmm. um, then I see opportunities the other way, Sam, especially for what is emerging growth companies. And that's really where I love to work because I get to see the most value yeah. contributed to those entities, to the employee, to the founders, to the professionals, and then thereby you know, creating a real impact in the work that we're doing. Yeah. can I, This is
1: now, you can see if I'm wrong, but this is just my experience. Uh, like in the last 18 months, <clears throat> it seems like there is an incredible amount of money floating in the market, in all markets, everywhere. <laughs> does not matter. It seems like it's like an everything bubble. Even though it might seem like that, a lot of it is getting concentrated just on the higher end. And on the larger size deals, as you were saying, on the on the specs and and things like that. It's just if you look at even the the IPOs of what used to happen 20, 30 years ago, it's like how many IPOs used to happen in just in North America or in U.S. And there's a lot less, maybe 10 IPOs happening, but they're all massive. They're all gigantic. It seems like it anyway.
0: Here's what's interesting, Sam. I'm currently working on a number of IPOs. Yes. Where we provide IPO counsel. We, we work with the clients to cultivate them to be able to bring them to market. So we introduce them to investment bankers. We bring in a team yes. of professionals. We assist and troubleshoot in, in all the areas that arise along their IPO journey. And what's unique, we're doing a number of those, and they're what I would call micro-IPOs. Yes. The thing is, you just don't hear about them, Sam. Maybe that's They true. don't make yeah. headlines, yeah and, and, and I know like last week we listed a company as an example in the Canadian Neo exchange and we played a very important role to them as an advisor. It was a five million dollar uplist. So they went from the OTC to the NeO. We're working for an example right now at a 15 million dollar IPO that we should be rolling out in the next few weeks. So these are anywhere from the range of what I'm doing, probably in a sweet spot about 20, 25 million dollars. Uh, and, and we actually advise our clients not to take more than that if they don't need it. And, right. and it's, contra- again, contrarian, but there are, are more than you would think, Sam, of these well, kind of smaller IPOs are happening, but yeah. they're not publicized because the headlines are dramatizing all of the big deals, all of the yes. sexy deals, all of where the sizzle is and all this, you know, the, yes. the kind of, you know, headline of components of Wall Street are based. So it's more of what I would consider a little bit of the underbelly of Wall yes. Street, which is the small to medium size. They are happening. Um, you just need to know where to go. Yeah. You can't go call on Goldman Sachs and say, I'd like to do a twenty-five million dollar <laughs> IPF. Yeah, no,
1: that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know. This is just what I hear. But then as you said that just the bigger, whether the it's the DoorDash and Airbnbs of the world make a lot more noise with their massive IPOs than, than a lot of the, of course, and it makes sense. I would love to hear a story about one of your most um, enjoyable or successful sort of IPOs that you have done in the last little while and why that was successful or enjoyable for you or you enjoyed to see that company grow and prosper.
0: Yeah, so the one that comes to mind, Sam, is uh, actually a a fintech company, uh, digital payment processing platform. Cold Beanbox is listed uh, on NASDAQ. We were involved in the company from its very early stages of formation, so almost two years prior to its IPO. And I worked then with the CEO who came out of Microsoft, dynamic, driven, visionary, but it was only a vision at the time when I first met him. There was very little infrastructure. There was very little technology that was being implemented and deployed on a daily basis. And over the course of time, we saw that grow and build. We got to participate in bringing in the team, structuring the company, working with the underwriters, working with legal counsel, bringing in and and attracting board members and all types of different professionals And a very successful oversubscribed fifty million dollar IPO, and now the company was really growing significantly with the benefit of being on the Nasdaq listed company, of having that capital and the awareness that's come about that has brought all kinds of unique opportunities. And so, part of my joy was being like in there from the beginning when you're seeing the vision, and then you're participating, and you're seeing that come to reality. And then I get to stay on afterwards uh, to work with the company and, and to work as a capital market advisor. So we get to really then continue to add value where I'm working with the CEO to identify when the timing is right to structure and raise more capital, advising on new projects, on business expansion. And then we take in the whole capital market part that is really critical about non-deal roadshows and conferences and outward facing communication and all the awareness that comes. So it's really dynamic as the FinTech space is just every day growing exponentially be a part of that like revolution from the inside out. It's just been quite stimulating.
1: Yeah. No, that, That is, that's really exciting. And probably you did answer some of my next question in it. And what does make a success, like some IPOs really successful compared to others? Is it all the awareness and going, doing all this outbound marketing efforts and things promoting it? Or or is it some other secret sauce that I don't know about, or we don't know about? (laughs) I
0: I don't know so much about the secret sauce, Sam. I think some companies, These um, are are at the right place at the right time, which might be part of that secret sauce. Like they Mm -hmm. just happen to hit exactly with the right formula at the right time. I'm a big believer in fundamentals. So, you know, you have to have an executable business. You have to have Mm -hmm. a business that has shown that it will be adopted by the marketplace in one way, shape or form, whatever it is that you're Mm -hmm. doing and then from there it's management it's your your competitive landscape it's your you know key you know competitive advantages so what makes you distinct and unique packaging and perception i will say that one of the things that i see repeatedly now is that the companies that can package promote and create perception about themselves that's unique and different always stand out and seem to get more value than companies that might even be more substantial but don't have the same you know, kind of benefit of being able to package and present and to uh, create a bit of buzz about the business.
1: Yeah. In today's world, it's, if you want to reach the retail audience, how's their meme game? Who's their meme lord? <laughs> um, is it? <laughs> and then that's yeah. why it's GM and Ford. And for last few years, every year, they spend $2 billion in advertising. Tesla spent $0 because their CEO has is the $60 million followers, like more audience than Super Bowl, every single tweet, every single day that it's, yeah. But it's, as you say, it's storytelling in a way, in a way, they, they create a very good story and a, and a narrative around, around themselves on top of really good fundamentals and a product market fit. So no, that's great. Lastly, I have three quick questions that I do ask everyone. And is there a book that you are um, reading right
0: now? I, I, I am. I'm in the middle of reading a book, but it has nothing to do with anything that we're talking
1: about. Oh, that's about. fine. That's fine. Can... Oh,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: exciting. It was
0: on the New York Times bestseller, and and I I just saw the headline. I was just in Greece recently working with a client, and there's just so much history there. So I just elevated myself to to buy the book, and I've enjoyed spending the weekend reading it. I hope you're not going to ask me the title, because I just picked it up and I'm reading it, and it's escaping me at the moment. But it's fascinating to read about something. I spend so much time embedded in financial related information and have a very voracious appetite for all of that but this is total departure from what we do on a day-to-day
1: basis. It's great. It's always good to read something. And um, like that has so much influence on the culture, even today to this day in everything from games to everything. And you see the names and the character development and everything. There's a lot from Greek mythology and and all that. So now that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. Second thing is that if you had to start all over again, you have the same knowledge, but you are 20 years old, you are starting fresh, no job. What would you do first or... What would your career look like, or career path?
0: My career has been so unique in the sense that I didn't have a master plan to end yes. up. I've I started my own boutique investment bank. I've been in all these different businesses. It would have been very hard to have that as a plan per yeah. se. And so, in the beginning, I felt when I was younger, and of course, the world has changed a bit, that you wanted to have more of that traditional route where there was a plan and you were in a certain sector and you were building a career. Mine went to, and I have no regrets, I have a very dynamic career. I I would want to continue with that where I would have some area of expertise like I do now, but let it unfold in such a way that I really found early on where my value added proposition was and stayed right in that sweet spot. And I can't imagine how many years I've spent trying to do other aspects of business and even my own companies or trying to explore different areas. And when right in front of me the entire time was my real value proposition. And that's what I've now found and that I leverage every day in my business.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's really good advice for any young person listening to this in their twenties, thirties, and yeah, that that's something that you should look at. And that is your value proposition, and where you can add the maximum amount of value to any business, to any organization, and then just follow that and let it unfold on its own. Yeah, that's such good advice. Finally, do you have a ask? Are you looking for anything? Um, team members, clients, anything? Sam,
0: thanks for for asking. You know, I, listen, I I love talking with people. I, I love working with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So from, and, and, and if there is an ask, of course, we're looking to build our company. So talking with people who are, are part of the executive or the board members of high growth companies in emerging markets that are thinking of moving towards an IPO or listing yes. on a senior exchange. I'm always looking to expand my relationships and my network and, Quite Honestly, I'm very happy to talk with those people to see if I can also add value. Any entrepreneurs and or executives, your board members and such are more than welcome to reach out to me and I'd be more than happy to connect.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely connect you with some people, anyone that comes on my podcast, I they go on my spreadsheet of what they're looking for. And then if any time in future, if I come across someone looking for the same type of a person, then I just connect, the, connect them and take right. five minutes. But yeah, it's, um, I really enjoy doing that. So look, it's, it's been really fascinating talking with you, Peter. And yeah, I got to learn so much about, about the whole IPOs, listings, specs, and much more. Thank you once again for your time and wish you best of luck.
0: Yeah, thanks. And people, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I regularly share tips and information. People can look me up on LinkedIn. You can email me at exchangelistingllc.com. And I really enjoyed our time together. And thanks for putting all this together and look forward to continuing our discussions.
1: Oh, that's great. So one last thing for all the audience, I'm I'm going to put all the links to Peter, his company, to Exchange Listings, and more, everything under the show notes on wherever this goes, whether it is Spotify or Apple Podcasts or TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. So thank you once again for joining us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights That would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.